I invite you to turn to the back of the hymn book, question and answer 52, page 880, page 880. And yes, we are jumping ahead a little bit in the Heidelberg Catechism. We will back up again as we approach uh, Easter and, uh, and Ascension. We'll come back to those Lord's Days. So for this morning and for next week, I want us to consider question and answer 52. Page 880, right column. How does Christ's return to judge the living and the dead comfort you? In all distress and persecution, with uplifted head, I confidently await the very judge who has already offered himself to the judgment of God in my place and removed the whole curse from me. Christ will cast all his enemies and mine into everlasting condemnation, but will take me and all his chosen ones to himself into the joy and glory of heaven. Let's open our Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25, and I'm going to read the verses 31 to 46. We're focusing this morning on 31 to 40. Matthew 25, 31. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the holy angels with him. Then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. Then he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. And then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? The king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. But these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So far, 
the reading of God's holy word. Have you ever had it when guests dropped into your house completely unexpected? And you were totally unprepared. Your kitchen counter was stacked with dirty dishes. Your wash laundry was piled on the couch ready for folding. Your desk was covered with a mound of unfinished paperwork. Your children's toys were scattered everywhere. Not a bed in the house was made. Your toddler had just dumped his milk on the floor, and your house at that moment resembled the aftermath of a tornado. I suspect most of you mothers know what I'm talking about. At the worst possible time, when your house is in utter chaos, your old friend from another town decided to drop in and surprise you with a visit. You hear the doorbell, and you groan inwardly because you are totally unprepared. Now, in a situation like that, the worst you can experience is some embarrassment in not having your house in order. Your friend is not going to love you any less, and there won't be any long-term effects of your unpreparedness. You will soon get over it, and you will get on with life. And in the years to come, you may look back on that day and have something to chuckle about. But congregation, there is another event approaching for which preparedness is absolutely essential. There is another event that we must be ready for because if we are not, the consequences will be eternal. Of course, the event that I'm referring to is the return of our Lord at the end of the age. To have your house unprepared for the surprise visit of a friend is not really a big deal, ultimately. But to have your spiritual house unprepared at the return of our Lord is most tragic. If you are not prepared for the coming of Christ, there will not only be long-term consequences, there will be eternal consequences. Therefore, it is a subject of great importance for us all. We must be prepared for his coming at any time. The passage that we just read is one of those penetrating and heart-searching portions of the Word of God. It brings us face to face with the holy and just God of heaven and earth. It brings us to the conclusion of life on this earth as we know it. It draws the dividing line between the saved and the unsaved. Our text declares some very important truths. The Son of Man is coming. He's coming in splendor, point number one. He is coming to separate, point number two. And he is coming to save, point number three. Notice how verse 31 describes the splendor of his coming. Have a look, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory... And all the holy angels with him. Then he will sit on the throne of his glory. To begin with, the title, Son of Man, says something about the splendor of his coming. Unfortunately, this title has often been misunderstood. Because we confess that Jesus is true man and true God, many tend to assume that Son of Man refers to Jesus' humanity, while Son of God refers to his deity. 
There are those who believe that Son of Man calls our attention to his humiliation. But this is not an entirely accurate understanding of this title. Keep your finger in at Matthew 25, and would you turn with me, please, to Daniel 7. We looked at this some time ago, but I want to refresh your memory. Please turn to Daniel 7. Son of Man is the title that Jesus used most frequently when referring to himself. It was his favorite designation for himself. The title was not coined by Jesus in the first century. It has its roots in the Old Testament book of Daniel. When Jesus called himself the Son of Man, it was a bold claim to divine authority. It was a reference to his transcendent majesty. This can be seen from the book of Daniel. Like the apostle John on the Isle of Patmos, Daniel was given a glimpse into the inner court of heaven itself. And what did he see? Look at the words of Daniel 7, starting at verse 9. I watched till thrones were put in place. And the Ancient of Days was seated, his garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. You get the picture here, right? Keep it open there for a moment. This is a courtroom. The court is come to order with the books opened. Daniel sees the Ancient of Days, God the Father, seated on his heavenly throne, surrounded by thousands of angelic beings. Now, look at verses 13 and 14. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. Do you see the significance of the title Son of Man? As Daniel looked into heaven, he saw the Son of Man led into the immediate presence of the Ancient of Days. What Daniel saw was the exaltation of Jesus. It is clear from these verses that Daniel, in Daniel 7 that this title, Son of Man, refers to a cosmic judge with supreme authority. These verses are among the most fascinating of the Old Testament, for they present to us a vision of Jesus Christ and His glory that is perhaps nowhere else in the Old Testament so clearly stated. While the entire Old Testament speaks of Christ, these verses are among the clearest in revealing His glory. Daniel sees that Jesus' earthly work is finished. And by his ascension, he returned to heaven itself where he was given dominion, glory, and an everlasting kingdom. The Lord enabled Daniel to see Jesus Christ in the role of cosmic judge. While he was in, in captivity in Babylon, he was given a powerful reminder that while Babylon may triumph for a time, it is only the kingdom of Christ that will abide forever. 
The Son of Man whom Daniel saw in his vision is the same Son of Man who will return at the end of the age. The sovereign judge will be Jesus Christ himself. God the Father has granted the authority to the Son so that he may judge in righteousness. Brothers and sisters, the same Jesus who was born in a feeding trough in Bethlehem, who took upon himself the form of a servant, who was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, who had no place to call home, who was opposed by the religious leaders, condemned by sinners, whipped, mocked, and crucified. This same Jesus will come again, this time in glory as the Son of Man to judge the nations. His second coming will be very different from the first. He will come as the ruler and king of the universe in his glorified body, similar to how he was revealed on the Mount of Transfiguration when his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as the light. He will also be accompanied by his holy angels, an innumerable, magnificent, brilliant host of glorious heavenly beings. The holy angels will serve as his attendants who administer his justice. When Jesus returns, the angels will have a task to perform. Matthew 13 verse 41 says, The Son of Man will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of By the direction and command of Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, the angels will gather the wicked and bring them to their eternal dwelling place. And then also, the holy angels will serve Christ in the gathering in of his elect. Matthew 24, 31 says he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. The angels will serve the Son of Man in both condemning sinners as well as gathering in the elect. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, the angels will be with him accomplishing his will. Our text says, verse 31, that on that day, Jesus Christ will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. He will sit as king and judge of the universe. Congregation for believers, this day will be a day of great celebration. The one upon the throne is our Savior our friend, our high priest, our shepherd, our bridegroom. For believers, the one upon the throne need not to be feared. Feared in the sense of reverence and awe, yes. Feared in the sense of terror, no. He is our fountain of joy for eternity. For unbelievers, however, it will truly be a day of great fear, overwhelming terror. Scripture says that those who pierced him will mourn, and all the tribes of the earth who have not received him will weep. The one whom they rejected 
will be their judge. The very one who could have saved them will condemn them. Having rejected the call of the gospel and turned away from the gracious words of Christ, they will face a righteously angry judge. Which brings us to point number two. The one who is coming in splendor is coming to separate. He is coming to separate. Look at verse 32. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats, and he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. You see, all the nations will assemble before the judge. All who have ever lived will be gathered into the presence of the king to receive their sentence. Those from every country, nationality, race, color, language, religion, every person of the entire human race will be brought by the angels before the Son of Man for sentencing. On that day, it will not matter if you are rich or poor, black or white, Canadian, American, Italian, Jewish, or Dutch. The only important distinction will be whether you are a sheep or a goat, whether you are on the right hand or on the left. All the things that are so important to you in this life will be of little significance. It will be of little significance when you bow before the throne. There will be no distinction between kings and subjects, prime ministers and citizens, employers and employees. The only important distinction will be whether you are converted or unconverted, regenerate or unregenerate, whether you have faith or no faith, grace or no grace, forgiveness or no forgiveness, salvation or no salvation. The shepherd, Jesus Christ, will look upon the multitude and he will divide the sheep from the goats. The image of sheep and goats was very familiar to Jesus' audience. Sheep and goats were a common sight in Palestine. Jesus compared the human race to sheep and goats that will be forever separated. Throughout history, the sheep and goats have lived together in the same world. The tares and the wheat have grown together. Believers and unbelievers have lived in the same cities, worked in the same offices, labored in the same fields, shopped in the same stores, sat in the same churches, studied in the same schools, and were even raised in the same families. Throughout history, believers and unbelievers have dwelt together. Sheep and goats have walked in the same pastures. Hardly a day goes by when a Christian does not correspond with a non-Christian. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, there will be that final separation. The righteous from the unrighteous, the wheat from the tares, the children of God from the children of Satan. Who are the sheep in verses 32 and 33? The sheep are those who have believed what the word says about their sin. 
their depravity, their brokenness, and they have confessed their wickedness before God. The sheep are those who have recognized that their sin is an offense to God, and they have trusted God's remedy for sin. The sacrificial death of Jesus Christ is the remedy. The sheep are those who have seen that in themselves there is no hope whatsoever. Verse 33 says that the Son of Man will set these sheep on his right hand. The right hand in Scripture is a place of honor, glory, acceptance, and blessing. Placing the sheep at the right hand means that they are honored, favored, and blessed by Christ. The goats, by contrast, are put on the left. The goats are those who have not rightly understood their sin and not trusted in Jesus. They have not believed all that the Word says about themselves and about God's gracious provision. The goats are those who don't really care about their sin, therefore they have not trusted God's remedy. Verse 33 says that Jesus Christ will set these goats on his left hand. They will not be favored, honored, or blessed by Christ. Rather, they will be cursed. Congregation, all the nations will be gathered before the Son of Man. You will be there. I will be there. Your neighbors will be there. Your children, brothers and sisters, father, mother, grandfather. The all-important question will be, are you a sheep or are you a goat? Are you believing or unbelieving? Are you trusting God's remedy for sin or are you not trusting His gracious provision? Don't wait until that day to consider these most significant questions. Well, we come then to point number three. The Son of Man is coming in splendor. He is coming to separate and He is coming to save. He is coming to save. Notice the words of Jesus spoken to those on the right hand. Go with me in your Bibles to verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Brothers and sisters, these are the most precious words that a person could possibly hear. Come, you blessed of my Father. Come into my presence, into the joy of your inheritance. Come into eternal fellowship and peace with God. There is no greater blessing in all the world than to hear those comforting words. And notice, congregation, that this blessing upon the sheep is not the result of their own good deeds, as verse 35 might lead you to believe. No, the inheritance, the inheritance of the sheep is prepared for them from the foundation of the world. Their inheritance was determined long before they were ever born. 
Before the world was created, the Lord sovereignly chose His sheep. Aside from their works, their character, their personal decision, the Lord sovereignly chose them. Therefore, the works listed in verses 35 and 36 are not the root of salvation, but the fruit of salvation. Jesus says, I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. All these works mentioned by our Lord are not the cause of their salvation, but rather the result. Works provide verifiable evidence of the heart's condition. Their works do not make them sheep. Rather, their works reveal them to be sheep. Jesus said they fed the hungry, gave drink to the thirsty, took in the stranger, clothed the naked, visited the sick and those in prison. These things verify their genuine faith in Jesus Christ. Do you remember what the Apostle John said? Whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? 1 John 3, 17. A person who is truly redeemed by Jesus Christ will show it in his daily life. A redeemed person is a renewed person. In the day-to-day activities of life, he assists his brother, helps the needy, ministers to the lonely, shows mercy toward the sick and afflicted. In the seemingly small things of life, he is faithful. These are the people to whom Jesus says, Come, you blessed of my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Your works have revealed your faith in me and love for me. They have shown you to be my sheep. Your faith is revealed not merely by a verbal profession, but by your daily practice. Come, inherit the kingdom. Congregation, the response of God's children to these gracious words only further confirms the genuineness of their faith. Look with me to verse 37. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? The response of the sheep is one of genuine humility. They don't even remember the many things that they have done in the service of their Lord. They are surprised that he would commend them for any of their deeds. They feel unworthy to receive such great praise from the lips of their king. Their works were obviously never done with a view to reward or praise. They were done from a heart that was transformed by the Holy Spirit. They labored not to be seen, noticed, and honored by people, but simply out of gratitude for their redemption. They don't say, yes, Lord, I did this and this and this and this. Not at all. The sheep are profoundly aware of their failures and deficiencies. 
They understand that even their best efforts are stained with corruption. It is this very response that shows their true character. The sheep are clothed with humility. They feel unworthy of even the smallest commendation. The Lord, therefore, responds to their surprise with the words of verse 40b. Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Brothers and sisters, Jesus identifies with his people. He is one with them. What is done for a disciple of Christ is done for Christ himself. That patient word of encouragement spoken to a brother or sister who is downcast. A lending hand to a Christian family. Acts of kindness and Christian love that may soon be forgotten by the doer. These things are not forgotten by Jesus Christ. Whatever is done to one of the least of his brothers is done to him. The fact that he identifies with his people is also illustrated in Acts chapter 9, the story of Saul's conversion. Uh, You remember as Saul was traveling to Damascus with the goal of hunting down disciples of the Lord, he was suddenly surrounded by a bright light. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, what, children? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? Saul said, Who are you? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. By persecuting Christians, Saul was inflicting blows directly on Christ. Every arrest that he made on earth was an attack against Christ in heaven. Every evil word spoken to believers on earth was an evil word against Christ in heaven. Every home broken into was an assault upon Christ. You see, congregation, Jesus is one with his people. When you treat his people shamefully, you treat him shamefully. When you treat his people with affection and love, you treat him with affection and love. In Philippians 2, which we looked at recently, Epaphroditus was not merely visiting the apostle Paul in prison. He was visiting Christ. I was in prison and you came to me. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, he will say to Epaphroditus, come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom. Inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. By loving his needy brother, Epaphroditus was loving Christ. Brothers and sisters, True conversion is always manifested through acts of kindness to other Christians. Those acts of kindness do not make one a Christian or merit the favor of Christ. Rather, they are the fruit of a redeemed heart, the evidence of our salvation. And I want you to notice... I want you to notice that acts of kindness commended by our Lord are works that are within the reach of common people. Yes, ordinary people. In these verses, the Lord Jesus does not speak of those who gave enormous sons of money. Neither does he speak of great exploits that make headlines in the newspaper. 
Most of the things mentioned in verses 35 and 36 are works that can be accomplished by ordinary people like you and me. You can supply food and drink for a hungry and thirsty brother or sister. You can provide lodging for a stranger in need. You can provide clothing for those less fortunate. You have the ability to visit the sick, to encourage the weak, and to minister to the lonely. It is in these very practical affairs of life that true faith and conversion are manifested. All of us cannot make a an 800-mile trip to visit a brother in, in prison, as Epaphroditus did, from Philippi to Rome. But all of us do have opportunities to minister in simple, practical ways. You can invite visiting guests to your home after church. You can provide them with fellowship and words of encouragement from Scripture. You can minister to Christians who are confined to their bed or to a nursing home. You can minister to a Christian widow in your neighborhood, assisting her with her needs. You can pick up the telephone to encourage a brother or sister who is alone and lonely. You can show kindness to the physically or, or mentally handicapped. You can use your home as a place where people always know that they are welcome. There may be someone struggling in their marriage struggling in their job, struggling with their health, or someone who is haunted by past sins. There may be someone who has a wayward son or daughter who would appreciate a time of prayer with you. There may be someone who is wrestling about his own assurance of faith and struggling with doubt. There may be someone who is anxious about the future, someone who's wrestling with God's will for their life, or someone who, who's suffering from the trauma of abortion. Your home can be a place of refuge where such people are encouraged to look to the Savior and to the Word and to press on in their service to God. Congregation, when you're willing to serve God's people, and unbelievers as well, out of love for Christ, you will find that there are countless opportunities. Your efforts may not be written in the newspaper. You probably won't be acknowledged for any major contribution to society. You won't be given any awards or trophies for your service. You probably won't be publicly applauded for your deeds. But when the Son of Man comes in His glory, He will say to you, Come, come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom. Inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it unto me. Enter the joy of salvation. Your love for my people proves that you love me. By showing genuine concern for my children, you have proven yourself a child of God. By caring for my sheep, you have shown love for the shepherd. Brothers and sisters, those deeds that may seem to be insignificant in the sight of man are very important in the sight of God. Then let me ask you, do you love God's people? the sheep of God, even the smelly ones, 
Do you love fellow believers? Are you willing to be a servant to them? I don't mean just your circle of friends, those that you regularly associate with. I mean any one of God's children. Do you make yourself available to those in need? Are you willing to make personal sacrifices for their well-being? Are you willing to forego personal comfort for their sake? Congregation, this matter is so important in the eyes of God that those who neglect it will be rejected on the final day. To those on his left hand, the Lord Jesus will say what? Depart from me, you curseth to everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Jesus will condemn those on his left hand, not only for sins committed, but for acts of kindness not committed. Jesus will not only say, depart from me for you're a thief, depart from me for you are a murderer, depart from me for you are an adulterer, but he will also say, depart from me for your sins of neglect. On the day of judgment, people will not only be condemned to hell because of what they did, but also because of what they didn't do. God is also displeased with sins of omission. Those on his left hand will be banned from the joys and pleasures of the kingdom because, their sins, because of their sins of neglect. Their sins of neglect proved the absence of saving faith. By disregarding God's people, they neglected Christ. And without a relationship of loving service to Christ, there is no salvation. Dear friends, when the Son of Man comes in his glory to judge the living and the dead, where will he place you? Will you be at the right hand or the left, among the sheep or the goats? Will you be blessed or cursed? Which side of the Lord Jesus will you be on? It all depends on how you view the gospel. Salvation is not by works, praise the Lord. As one Puritan writer said, He hideth our unrighteousness with His righteousness. He covereth our disobedience with His obedience. He shadoweth our death with His death, that the wrath of God cannot find us. Our catechism says, I confidently await the very judge who has already offered himself to the judgment of God in my place and remove the whole curse from me. Christ will cast all his enemies and mine into everlasting condemnation, but will take me and all his chosen ones to himself into the joy and glory of heaven. Is that your confession? Has he removed the curse from you? And will he take you to himself into the joy and glory of heaven? Praise God that our salvation is not by works, but congregation. 
While salvation is not by works, there is no salvation apart from works. Those who receive the gospel will always begin to manifest the fruit of the Spirit in their life. Sheep will begin to live like sheep. They will love God's people and show mercy to His children, to the least of these, my brethren. Then congregation, ask yourself, am I living for Him? Am I ministering in His name? Is my love for Him reflected in my works? Blessed are those who love the Lord Jesus, for they will hear those most precious words. Come, inherit the kingdom. The Son of Man is coming. Are you ready? May each one of you be found in Christ so that the wrath of God cannot find you. Let us pray. Lord, our God, what an amazing thought that our Lord Jesus is going to come in splendor, the Son of Man, the fulfillment of all that was written of Him, coming in glory with a multitude of angels, Lord, when we think that he is coming not only in splendor, but also coming to separate, it is a very solemn thought. Because right now, the sheep and the goats walk together. They mingle day after day. The day is coming when that eternal separation will become a reality. So, Lord, we pray that each one of us will look to the one who is also coming to save, that he has already accomplished that salvation on Calvary's cross, that he will come to, to receive all his redeemed to that eternal joy-filled inheritance. We pray, Lord, by the, by the work of your Spirit, our lives would truly show that we are sheep. We pray that by the work of your Word and Spirit within us, we would love your people. That we would truly, Lord, in our day-to-day -day affairs, reflect a heart that has been regenerated by the Spirit of God that by your grace of the day of his appearing, we may hear those wonderful words, come, you blessed of my Father, and heir the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Pray that each person present here would also be received into that eternal kingdom, that none who are present here would be lost on the final day. In your mercy, reach into the hearts of each and every one of us. 
so that at the coming of the Son of Man, it would be a day of great celebration for all who are present here. We thank you for your word. We pray for the power of your spirit working in us, that others too, through our witness, may be rescued from everlasting condemnation and given a share of the inheritance of the children of God. Hear us, Lord, in the name of our Savior, the one who is coming. Amen.